0: Well, we have been diving deep into righteousness. And last week we had a very interesting, I wanna call it, uh, I want an encounter with God about silence, didn't we? And many of you responded very well to that, including myself. And this week as I was asking the Lord, where is it we should go? Because we never wanna just be stuck in a pattern The word I kept getting back was sanctification. Well, sanctification sounds like a very religious term, doesn't it? And as I began to delve into it more and ponder it and think about it, it's really a wonderful sequel from righteousness. And um, I'd like to just build upon something. And I sent out an e-blast this week and I wanna read it because it's the prelude to where we're gonna go. And it started off and said, good news, believer, you are imperfect. How many of you are imperfect? Amen. Uh, I noticed Jim Mariotti didn't raise his hand. He's, He's, again, 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 he might be sleeping. He's very good at sleeping with his eyes open. But good news, believer, you are imperfect, yet you have been perfected. Have you ever heard the sounds of an active construction project. One might scowl with agitation at the distraction of noise and busy traffic, while another might watch with eager expectation as they relish the symphony of sounds in business that are producing a new thing that's emerging out of an empty space. In an active site, workers are contributing with their specific trade and scope. You have laborers, carpenters, masons, electricians, mechanics, and many, many more. And they're all coordinating on site is the project or construction manager who is responsible to transform the vision of the construction plans that were prepared by architects and engineers into something that manifests that's the actual Structure considering that it began with a thought a creative impulse Nothing happens without the contribution and effort of people and the skilled operation of equipment and tools the function of materials And most importantly you have to have the resources to begin and to finish But if you are in Christ, then you are a wonderful work in process you are being formed to a perfectly designed plan. And from your innermost being emerges a sound of constructive sanctification that is perfectly orchestrated. It's a symphony of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Reading of the Word comes out of uh, Philippians 1.6 being confident of this that he who began a good work in you he will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus amen so similar to a material building or a home under construction we are creatures of creation that are under some kind of a spiritual work in process are we not and this work is continuous nothing happens to us unless we become in harmony with God. I'm gonna break this down so so we understand it better. Consider that in a a construction process, and I happen to relate to that, so I'm gonna deal with that. And how many of you have ever been involved in building something, whether it was your own home or remodeling or fabricating, and right? So you understand there has to be a plan. And that plan is generated by somebody who has the ability to envision what the finished product is right. Now, believe it or not, because I've made my living in construction almost all my life, um, I didn't do very well in woodshop. I just couldn't get the drawing to match what I saw or thought, so I just went ahead and started to make it. And, and the teacher didn't like that. And he said, well, first you have to learn to draft. I said, well, somebody else can draft. I'm, I wanna build it. And we didn't do very well, he and I. And he happened to also be the football coach and he was a big guy with a paddle with lots of holes in it. And the paddle and I got to know each other quite well over two years. And, but people that can envision things or have a, a special knack, a special creativity, and then those that can, can interpret that and bring it forth, have another knack and i've also noticed in my life that many times the people that design don't know how to operate a piece of equipment they don't know how to drive a truck they don't know how to hammer a nail they don't know how to lay a floor tile they don't know how to connect plumbing or electrical or how everything goes but yet when all of those parts and pieces come together something marvelous happens and there's a symphony of construction that begins And somehow, somewhere, there's somebody who's pushing the project and that person, whether they're the construction manager, the foreman, the superintendent, whatever they are, they're pushing it according to a prearranged schedule. Well, as we think about that a moment, I think we can get a better understanding about sanctification and what it means to not only be sanctified, but to be in the process of sanctification the most important thing as i mentioned before the most vital aspect of any project that you begin anything that you do is funding is it not in this world that we live in if you don't have the funds to do what you're going to do you can have all the dreams in the world it's not coming out of the ground well we start inside out we have everything we need already It's our job to go into the bank and withdraw. You could be a millionaire and not know it, and the funds could be overseas in an account, and you have no idea how to get them, you don't know where they're at, and so are you a millionaire or not? Really not. You can have all the abundance of God that's inside of you, and everything that he is is ours, but if we don't know how to access it, and if we don't access it, then we're bankrupt of spirit. And usually it results in people being downtrodden and there being no progress, no process. We know who our provider is, don't we? And he has a name in the Hebrew, it's called Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh is the one who supplies all things. And I love the scripture, and you know it's one of the foundations of everything. Somehow I almost get back to it in every sermon I give out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And that is but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you all things shall be added unto you seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness well we've laid a very strong foundation about the righteousness we had 25 weeks about the kingdom of God in a book called the spheres of the kingdom so I'm not going to go back through that we've been building the kingdom and his righteousness, and then it says, things will be added unto you. They can be added unto you, but that doesn't mean that you will use them or access them unless you are going through a process, and that process is sanctification. Now, that sounds like a very religious-sounding word, and in my three and a half years of Catholic high school, which I think all of you know, I wasn't a Catholic, I would just go to class because I went to Ursuline to play football and we all had to go to class and it was very easy. That word sanctification always caught me. It was like sanctified. Is that what a priest is? Is that what a nun is? Is that what the girls are running around in their plaid Ursuline skirts are? They're all sanctified. What's sanctified mean? What's it, is that holy? Because when we took the test, it would say holiness. It was another word for it. A cinnamon was, synonym, cinnamon, cinnamon roll. Synonym was, was holiness. And some other words that went along with it that were quite interesting um, that, that were in the test. But there's a scripture, and in in its most basic sense, we know that it means to be set apart for God, correct? That's what we've been taught. It's to be set apart for God. Well, let's delve into that a little bit. Let's look at uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Let's build a foundation. Now, we know that's the law, right? Leviticus chapter, law. And uh, in that basis, it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I have a tremendous ring and echo going on up here. Is it out there too? Is there anything we can do about that? Nothing? I sound okay to you? It just must be these monitors. I don't know. Okay, so I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Leviticus 27 and 8, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And then it goes on and it gives some reasons and ways to be sanctified. There are ways that the people are prepared. There are ways that the priests are prepared. There are ways that the temple is prepared. Many different processes of sanctification. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says this to us, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So let's revert back to Leviticus, the preparation of a priest. In my experience, as I was trying to find God, when there was a quickening and awakening in my spirit that I had a sinful nature and I didn't know how to crawl out of it, when my world was collapsing and I went back to my roots and I went back into the temple and I began temple practice and it didn't work because I found the hypocrisy of that kind of sanctification. I just knew too many of the people that were in the temple from the world, and it was very similar to me in my experience at Urson, where I would go out and and drink and party with guys, and then that next Monday, they'd be taking communion in in a mass, and I thought, What is this? It didn't really bother me. I just thought something doesn't add up here. And the temple was no different. It just was different language, different rules, different laws, different ways. Uh, Instead of having masses every day, there were different days that you could come and seek atonement and some kind of sanctification. But none of it worked. And so I began to read the Torah. I began to read these books and starting, of course, with Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, and even into Numbers, and began to try and understand what it would take to become sanctified for an encounter with God. I wanted an encounter with the living God. And I'd come to the conclusion that it still must be possible unless he was no longer the living God. So now I was in this wrestling match of my faith. Is there a living God or isn't there a living God? And if he is, How do I find him? How do I become sanctified? And in that sense, I began to do the the Levitical rites of a priest to be sanctified. Now I talked to the rabbi about it and he said, no, 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 we don't do that anymore because once the temple was destroyed, all of that became meaningless. And I said, but that's what not that says. I said, we're substituting things that he said we couldn't substitute. We're doing That's not what the Torah says. And so we became distanced because I became fanatical. And in that process of going through those Levitical rites, I literally did these kind of things. I would eat the meals of a Levitical priest. I found the formulas for Ezekiel bread, not the kind you go and buy in a store that, has different elements in it, but real Ezekiel bread. And we made Ezekiel bread. When I say we, it was my mother and I, she was tolerating me. And she was so happy that I was no longer out doing what I'd been done before, and I don't think she cared where I ended up, just so I didn't go back there. And we would make this Ezekiel bread, and every time the aroma would fill the house with a perfume. So God was in it. He was leading me through it, And then I would live on this Ezekiel bread and honey for months. Ezekiel bread and honey and water. And then sometimes fast. And and sometimes I go on a complete fast. Seven days, no water, no nothing. With some pebbles in my mouth. Breaking down. And then I, I, I got into preparing the robes of a priest. And one of the things that the priest had to do was to wash their robes, to soak them in a cleansing water for seven days. So I would have different, three of them, and they'd soak, 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 soak. Take them out, dry them, put them on. And then I built a little altar. I tried to figure out how to build an altar like the patriarchs did, and there really wasn't great directions about it. So I sort of did a hybrid between what I found in the Psalms, and with David, and and in Samuel, but then I also went to just the revelation of building an altar in the wilderness, and the wilderness was a farm in Hubbard, Ohio, and it was in an apple orchard, and it was where I played as a child, and where I pruned trees with my grandfather, and where we farmed corn across there, and we had chickens running. Well, he had passed on, so now it was just overgrown, and, I built this little altar there and I would go there with trepidation every time wondering, am I sanctified enough? Am I ready? Am I prepared? Did I miss something? If I missed something, would he not come? And every time I would go with a, a heart expecting God to come and I would scratch and scrounge for things I could find that were either the actual things he said to sacrifice on the fire or they were symbolic of it, whatever I could get. I'd like to fire and nothing would happen. And I'd go through this ritual over and over and over and over until my heart was totally broken. And I realized that I could find no way to be sanctified enough for God to show up. I didn't think it was his fault, but I was angry at him. I knew that it was something in me, but then I went even further and I said, are we all lost? Is it totally gone? And I would challenge him openly speaking aloud, saying, this is your word. I'm doing what you say to do. Now, I realize I don't have a teacher because all the rabbis are confused, and <laughs> not me, them, they're all confused. So it's you and I, and we're not getting this right. And so I know it must be me, but look at my heart. You said that you love David because he had a heart unto you. Lord, is, Look at my heart, I'm trying i've lost everything i'd lost everything i had nothing left i had an empty house with nothing in it with no lights no electric no heat no water nothing nothing it's just me and him and i was willing to live like that until i couldn't take it anymore and in that moment most of you know some of you know that story the final time i lit that fire i said if you don't show yourself this time If I don't see you, if it's just a small voice, just something, show me something, I'm done. I want to die, because I can't live like I did. I can't live in the hypocrisy of religion. Now remember, the religion I knew was Catholic that I got taught at Ursuline, and the temple that I got taught by two different rabbis. I said, this is hypocrisy. This doesn't work. And it didn't help that my majors at Youngstown State University were philosophy, religion, and political science. That didn't help at all. (laughs) The last time I lit it, I went for a walk. It It was the winter. It was deep in the middle of February. It was cold. There was snow all over and I went out to a field that was right at the edge of the woods where I knew, you know, that's where I used to hunt. Now, I never saw a bear in there, you know. I saw deer, and I saw kind of smaller animals and raccoons and some coyotes. And So I went to the edge, and I first sat down in the snow, and I looked up, and I said, Okay, I'm going to die now, crying like a baby. Laid in the snow, put my face in the snow, began to freeze in the snow. The teardrops froze into my face. I began to get numb. I would not get up. I remember crying out, if you have mercy, then send an animal to kill me right now. Nothing. Until I heard the voice. And then there was a voice. I guess the father finally got tired of my pity party. And he said, stand up. And he said something that struck to me very hard because I saw it several times in the scriptures. And he would say, this was mano el mano talk, stand up and gird yourself up like a man. God was calling me a sissy. That got my attention. I'm an old fighter. All right, got a sissy. I'm no sissy. I want to die. Sissies don't know how to die. And the Lord said to me, go back to the book that you were reading. Well, I went back to that book. When I left it, it was in Samuel, and I was reading about David, how he had the heart unto the Lord. I'd read it all the time, kept convincing myself I had the right heart. And as I was reading it about the heart, I'd left it on the front seat, a bench seat of an old Oldsmobile, the only thing that I had because my uncle gave it to me. And when I went there, it was changed. The page was changed. And it was the first page of a book I'd never dared to look at called Matthew. I'd only had that book for one week. A woman gave it to me and she said, God wanted me to give this to you. It's very important to me. It was mine. So I looked at it and began to read it. And that same voice spoke to me when I asked him, who is this Jesus? You know, Matthew, who begat whom, begat whom, begat whom, begat whom, begat whom, and then was begotten Christ Jesus. Who's this Jesus that persecuted the Jews? Who's this Jesus that Christians say is their God while they killed Jews in the gas chamber? Who's this Jesus? And then he spoke, it's I, I am. That broke through. Now I tried to sanctify myself this time in Jesus. (laughs) I spent the next several days repenting and confessing everything I could remember. I'd write it down on a piece of paper, day in, day out, hour after hour, day after day. This went on for three or four days. I was wore out, no sleep, and finally I said, did you get it all? Are we good? And then he said, my grace. I said, what? My grace? What about your grace? Read about my grace. So that began a journey, a journey that first of all, I became so amazed that there's this thing called justification. This this thing that meant that if I just repented and believed in Jesus Christ, that this was the Messiah and that his blood actually covers my sins, not just forgives them for a year, not just atones them for a holiday, but literally washes them away. And then, when I got that, it was like, so what do we do now? Am I done? You did it all, and what do I do? Nothing. And then I began to learn about sanctification. First, we're predestined, right? People don't like predestination. Get over it because it's in the scriptures. Romans 8 Predestined, then called. Well, I began to realize he was calling, but I wasn't answering, and I didn't know how to answer. And then he said, after you're called, you're justified, which is made righteous, right? He was made sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then after that, sanctified. Sanctified. That was that old Catholic term from high school. Sanctified. So Is there a contradiction? Is it that we're not really saved when we're saved and we have to do something else, that grace isn't sufficient? Or is it a process? Are there two steps to sanctification? Is one we're regenerated, made into the new creation, and that new person in Christ where only his blood atones the sin, and after that, it's... Okay, I'm now a member of the family of God. And then there's another step of sanctification. It's a process that he's working in me. And that literally I can become better and better and more and more. And that this working inside of me isn't something I'm working towards salvation. But I am working towards maturation. I can't regenerate anymore, but I can become more mature. I can become what? More like Him. And so I relate to this. I relate to it when it says that we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I understand that the old system established in the law was a way to try to figure it out, that all of those atonement ceremonies mean nothing that we can really enter in, right? We really can. But most of the time, when I hear or see or read Christians using the word sanctification, it's always about a process. Think of this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul wrote this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then in Romans 6.19, he he says, Christians, present your members as slaves to the righteousness leading to sanctification. And then further on in Romans 6.22, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So as believers, we are called to pursue sanctification. So yes, it doesn't mean we're working out our salvation, but we are working out our sanctification. We're in a partnership with God. God is doing everything we need to be done, but if we don't participate in that partnership, then we are stopping the process of sanctification. Yes. Amen. Let's go into that a little further. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, as believers, and especially in the time we live in, right, we're called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back so soon. I mean, wow, just watch the news. I'm not talking about this garbage here about our politics. I'm I'm talking about watch what's going on in Israel. Watch what's going on in Iran. Watch what's going on in Russia. Watch what's going on around the earth. Watch what's going on in the religious systems. Watch the shaking that's quietly going on, but it's beginning to make a sound like an earthquake. Watch what's going on in people. Every day we have people's hearts failing them for fear, jumping off of bridges, giving up, giving in, angry, killing people, hearts failing for fear all over the place. Jesus is coming. And he's coming very soon. And so like, unlike maybe any other time, we're those who have this wondrous hope and expectation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Even as it says, 1 John 3, one through three, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now beloved, we are God's children now now and what we will be has not yet appeared stop right there we are his children now we have been sanctified we have already been set aside for him we have been rejuvenated we've been recreated we are born again but what we shall be has not been revealed yet but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's a process. The first part says we've arrived, we've been saved, we've been set aside, we've been set free from sin. But the second part says we've not yet revealed who we are according to the plan of who we're going to be. And that plan is so good So perfect, so well-designed that when you see Jesus, you will know him. It doesn't mean you're going to say, oh, that's Jesus. You're going to know him intimately. You're going to know the core of his righteousness. You're going to understand how good he really is. You're going to sense and receive and know spiritually as one knows another one in intimacy that I'm just like him now because you're going to be just like him when you come to that point. But there's a process. And so John, very cautiously, he says, purify yourself now, even as he is pure. So we are in anticipation, but we've got a lot of work to do. And there's stuff that we need to understand. First of all, let's go back to the resources and that little example about building. I don't care what it is, whatever vision you have, whatever it is that you're doing, if you don't have the resources to do it, it's not going to happen, is it? You've got to have the resources, well, let me introduce you to one of the most magnificent names of God that he gave himself, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. (laughs) You know what it says in simple Hebrew? The God who is enough the God who is enough, El Shaddai, the plural, Elohim, the Godhead that is enough, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, enough, enough, the plural version. Paul knew Jesus like none of the disciples knew Jesus. You say, what? He was the last one. He never even touched him in the flesh. But you see, the Jesus they knew wasn't the resurrected Jesus. They knew him for a moment, but they didn't know him. But when you read the Pauline revelation, Paul saw it all in the spirit. He saw him go into the heavenly heavenlies and into the throne room and present his blood. He saw that and he wrote it and told us the other ones didn't see that. He saw that he descended into paradise and set them free. The other ones didn't see that. He saw the revelations of the word of God and and the fact that there's a process of sanctification that goes on because while these disciples were trying to grasp grace and freedom and liberty, they still came from the law. And so there was a, a shady area where obedience was part of the law. And they were still living in a time where they still went to the temple on the days of atonement. They were still living at a time where there were family dinners where some were saved and some weren't saved. They were still living at a time where it wasn't Christmas and it wasn't Easter. It was Pesach and Hanukkah. And so they were trying to put it together, but Paul knew Jesus in a different way. He knew him because... He understood how he extricated him and sanctified him and then gave him a mandate to continue on in that process. And we know him in a better way than they know him. Believe that. Now, they know him because they've seen him, and now they're with him. But we know him in a better way because we got the benefit of the Pauline revelation. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit. We have the benefit of over 2,000 years of experience, failures, and goodness, and things that worked and things didn't work. You know, there's nothing better about the Word of God than it being proved. Correct? We can talk and talk and talk about the word of God, but unless it's alive in our lives and unless we see the fruit and the benefits. Edward Spurgeon once said this. He said, your entire life is a series of little miracles. Wow. You know, if our eyes aren't open, we don't even see them, do we? And I look back now with open eyes and I can think back as a little child. I was thinking about this in the wee hours of the night, wee hours of the night. I only was able to sleep a couple hours. There was a stirring inside of me about this till I finally surrendered and said, let's just go at it, Lord. And I remembered this as I was saying and contemplating as I go back and I read Spurgeon often about the series of little miracles. I read that about four o'clock this morning. I said, Yeah. I can think back and see some more, but, but I remember this one. I remember my father dropping me off at the Jewish Community Center. He went to a meeting or something, and he did it often because I was alone by myself, a lot, and I loved going there, and I'd love to swim, and I'd play in the pool, and they had a game room, and I'd just hang out. And I had this little inner tube, this little plastic cheap inner tube. It was orange. I remember it to this day. And I would put it on and I would go into the deep water and swim all over because I had the inner tube. And I was pretty daring. And I figured even though time and time again, they would say, you stay on this side of the line until you pass a swimming test. Well, I didn't have swimming lessons. I was self-taught. So I would sneak over. And many times I would turn it so that it was on my belly so they wouldn't see it and throw me out of there. And I'd just go like this. Well, one time it slipped and it went down to my legs and somehow it got tight and I couldn't get out of it. And my legs went up and my head went down and I bobbed like this for a while until I was running out of breath and energy to bob anymore. And nobody saw me. And then all of a sudden, this man jumped in the water, dressed in his full military uniform, picked me up, soaking wet, put me on the side, turned around, looked at the lifeguard, said, that's my son. A miracle. That's my father. He got there just in time. Think about it. And he was able to recognize his son's feet sticking up out of the water. Nobody else did. I haven't even embellished that miracle for years. Little miracles, your life is a bunch of little miracles. You've been set aside by God according to a wondrous plan. And if you're still breathing... Everyone but Jimmy's still breathing here right now. (laughs) Dottie, give him a smack. There you go. Thank you. If you're still breathing and you still have feeling and motion, God's plan isn't done with you yet. He's the architect. And I could give you all the scriptures, but you know them. It says in Psalms that you were wondrously made, placed in your mother's womb, He said to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in the womb. And he even let Paul know that he called him before the beginning of time because Paul went on and on and on about it in his revelation. We know that it says he assembled all the parts of who you are. Well, yes, you have a lot of body parts. I once knew, I remembered how many bones and tissues and organs. I don't know that anymore. I'm at the stage in my life where it's on a must know need basis up here. Right, Pat? Pat's shaking her head. If I don't need to know it, let it go. Because I need room for other stuff. The important stuff. Must need basis. I used to read statistics about everything. Not anymore. I don't need it. I can just Google it when I want it. He's made every part of you so special, so wondrously. And me. Think of it, me. Me. Imperfect me, undeserving me. And it's not just your body parts. It's your spiritual parts. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Isaiah gave this wonderful proclamation in in 48, chapter 48. In essence, what he said was, he was speaking what God was saying, and he says, in your past... I am there. In your past, I am there. We already know he's in our present. And we already know he's the God of tomorrow. But in our past, he's still there. That means that when you're in him, you're all in him. Your past, your present, your future. All the pieces being orchestrated wondrously. Because I don't know about you, but I blew a lot of things even after I was saved. I blew a lot of things last year and six months ago. I made a lot of mistakes in this church. He finally had to slap me and say, shut up. I know what you did wrong. Now do it right. Because we wanna take control of the things. But what he says about that is all things, all things, All things past, present, future work together for good. Uh, Come on, I don't know about you, but that sets me free. That means even in my worst blunder, in my worst moment, even in, in my most fearful moment, even when I failed the worst, somehow he already knew it. I'm not saying he's responsible for it, but he knew my irresponsibility. And he says, son, it's part of your sanctification process. It's going to work a good in you. Well, I look at it this way. We celebrated our, our little uh, granddaughters, one of our little granddaughters, birthdays two days ago, three days ago, a little cute, Laylee, Laylee, little Peanut. And you know, like anybody with their grandchildren, they just put smiles on your face and everything melts. And and she had two candles. She turned two years old. Well, I don't think she ever got close to the candles before because she couldn't crawl out of her chair onto the table. And while nobody was watching real close getting the pictures ready, she crawled out of the table, put her finger on one candle. And right away, her father pulled her hand back and she looked at her finger. She didn't cry. And he said, fire. She looked at him, she looked at her finger, and then she wanted the icing. But the next time, when they wanted her to go closer to the candles to blow them out, she went like this. She backed off. Because she realized that she touched fire. So, the good in us, when we mess up, is we realized we touched fire. But it doesn't mean we should touch it again. That's part of the sanctification process. What are we willing to walk away from? How many times are we going to tell the Lord, yes, I know I'm imperfect, but I want to stay imperfect in the area that I'm at. Now, I'm not preaching down at you just because I'm up here. I'm preaching to myself. Just because... I've been doing it for so long. Does it mean that God is tolerating it? Or does it mean that I'm falling short of the sanctification process? What I have lived long enough to experience is when I begin to get some things right with God and I quit being so stubborn about them in my own life, in my own arrogance, my own pride, my own religiosity, I'm the only one. All of you are just flowing in grace, which is good. I hope you are too on, online. When I step out of that is when I realize that now he can take me in another step of becoming more like Jesus because I've come out of that one. How can I expect him to keep giving me more when I'm refusing to deal with what he's given me? Is it that he's not sufficient enough to help me, or is it that I'm not willing to let him be sufficient enough to help me? Who's wrong in this equation? Whose scripture is right? Whose word do you believe? Whose report do you receive? I'm speaking to myself now. I'm preaching to me. So, let's move on. I like this scripture. Colossians, let's go to Colossians chapter one and uh, verse 19. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus Christ. The Father's pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Colossians 2, 3. In Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That really strikes home at this hour, I think, for a lot of us. How many of you would would say, you know, you're putting all your needs together, your desires, your hearts, your wants, and I know we could have long lists, we all do, because we're human, right? How many of you could say, I really could use some wonderful, spot-on wisdom from God right now. Amen. It's a treasure. It's in Christ, and Christ is in you. It's already there. Now we have to access it. The world has all kind of motivational speakers and corporate coaches Right. Life coaches, corporate coaches, motivation speakers. They get to the point of telling you to unlock the potential in yourself, short of the fact that the potential is God Almighty. So you can work at it and work at it and work at it, and you can believe it all and wonder why isn't it working or why did it work for them and they made a million dollars and all I did was give them a thousand dollars. Because they made a million dollars on that many people's thousand dollars. How come they can buy all these rental properties and become gurus and I buy them and they steal the copper out of them as fast as I begin to fix them up? How come they opened up a used car lot and sold 6,000 cars and I bought three cars and nobody wants them? The potential's in God. God's put a dream in every one of us. And that potential is beyond. And you know what God likes it? He likes it when we begin to move in with what he's given us. And then I love that word. Son, expand the pegs of your tent. Oh, my Lord God. You see, here's the hardest thing for us. I'm speaking to those of us, but it's really for everybody. But those of us who are getting older and we've experienced some things, we want a tent that's as big as the tent we had. We have a hard time reigniting with a smaller tent, but in that tent is all the potential of God and you can't expand that tent until you begin to access the potential of God at this time in this place in your life. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit, back to the construction example, he's the engineer. He's doing all the work. He's seeking deep into those treasures that God has put into you and me already. He's finding them, he's agitating them. He's stirring them up. He's giving them energy and force and life. And he's speaking it into your being And he says in Romans eight, verses one through 13, it's all about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving in us and doing things in us. And he has a mind that goes deep into these treasures that are inside of us. And then he's got the mind of Christ and he's matching the two together. We need to access it. We need to say, Lord, I pause. Take away all of my own thoughts and give me the mind of Christ. My days aren't finished unless I say they are. Are you the God who's in my past? Am I a new creation? Well, if I'm a new creation, it says, old things have passed away and all things are made new. Now, this revelation came to me fresh in the wee hour this morning as I was pondering that and praying about it and rejoicing with God, looking out my patio window at the ducks that were floating in the pond. And they were there before daylight. I was wondering, why are they there before daylight? Maybe so a fox couldn't get them. I don't know. And I'm saying, Lord, old things have passed away. From when? And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Every second is old and every second next is new. All those old things have passed away and all things are made new. That means you have the opportunity that I have the opportunity to have a fresh start every second. Only if we let the second go by and don't grab it, then it became a missed opportunity. Life is a series. little miracles time is a series of seconds minutes hours days months and years this is not a depressing message this is a message of fresh starts this is a message that he who has begun a good thing in you he will complete it You know when he began a good thing? When he thought you into being. You were thought into being as a good thing. He's a good God, he makes good things. You were created in his image in the loins of Adam, brought forth in the fruit of Eve. You you somehow mustered through all those years and generations till now, and here you are a good thing that has been perfectly designed in Jesus Christ. Now, we've had some malfunctions in our life. We can't blame those all on God. Some of us can look back and say, well, my mother, my father, my grandfather, look what somebody did to me, some stranger, this and that. But we have to get over that, because that's in the past, and today the second's a new start. And sometimes, We have to let go of things, and if we don't let go of them, they become an anchor. The Holy Spirit is is breath, nefesh. The first thing, the revelation we have of the Spirit of God says that that Ruach, that Spirit of God, and the actual interpretation is the nefesh, the breath of God in Hebrew began to float over the void of the darkness and to call treasures out of it. And the treasures became all of the creation that we know here on earth. All the stars, all the universe, the depths of the sea, the fish in the sea, the animals, the birds, the creeping things, the vegetation, the trees, the flowers, the grasses, everything that is was called into being through the engineer of the nephesh of God. The breath. And then finally, when the hands of Jesus created this image of God, a molded clay out of the earth of what had already been created by the engineer, then the breath blew in, special breath. I call that baby breath. Baby breath. You know... I'm not trying to turn anybody off here, but the older you get, you got to work on your breath. <laughs> and the things you eat sometimes, you got to work on that. But a baby's breath? Ah, whew, sometimes it turns into turtle breath. They get a little older, get some teeth, get some stuck, stuff stuck in there. But a baby breath? Whew, you. Were ignited with the baby breath of the nefesh of God. And in that breath is all the code of what God has for you. A wondrous design in Jesus Christ. Maybe some things have been put on pause. Maybe some things had a system malfunction. Maybe a few things got put into you that shouldn't have been put into you. Maybe you added a few things you should have subtracted. I think I'm exposing my own heart to you. Maybe in spite of ourselves, we just didn't get it right when we had every chance to do so. Maybe God was blessing and somehow we thought it was our performance. (laughs) Oh, can we laugh at ourselves? Maybe it's a word spoken out of time and not the right word spoken in time. Too often we like to say this, that I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. (laughs) The Lord says, wherever you call on my name, in that place I will establish my altar. That's why we pray in the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means to be thinking and working and talking in the Spirit of God. Whenever we are not, then we're outside of walking in the Spirit of God. The Spirit's still in us, but we're outside of it. And don't ever dare say that God somehow lost a grip on you. It's when we lose a grip on Him. If we walk in the Spirit, then we have this assurance and promise from Him that He will direct every step of the righteous person. His lamp is a light unto our path when we walk in the Spirit of God. Is it hard? Sanctification process is a challenge. You know why? Because it wars against that most nasty enemy of your being. It's called flesh. The flesh lusts, but the spirit is willing. But God has given us more than what the flesh or the world can throw at us. A world dominated by an evil hierarchy. So the world and the evil are almost like one in the flesh. He's given us him and us and us in him. He's given us full access. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word that says, all things that I have are yours. He's given us his word that says, abound in all of these things. And Jesus said, I give you life and I give it to you more abundantly. We know that he who is in us is greater than he is in the flesh and in the world. We know that we can do all things through him as he strengthens us. The only way we fail with that kind of promise and covenant with God is when we refuse to submit to God. Sometimes it's time for us to take a pause in our life. Again, little miracles Man, we arrived in Florida with two different feelings going on. One was dreadful, and we walked away from a lifetime here in Ohio as children and adults with children and leaving grandparents behind. We arrived with an excitement because God called us. It soon became the challenge of our lives. Left totally flat in a brand new place. Bill's up to here. No church family. Foreigners in a place where they didn't speak English mostly, they only spoke Spanish. Fortunately, she spoke a little Spanish. I had a little Italian between the two. We tried to make it work. Nobody was speaking Hebrew. I don't know, nothing. And in that place, God did a work. We put things on pause. Then we got busy. Then God showed us how to pause again and then we got busy and then he paused us again and we're coming off a pause in a lot of ways. I'm not complaining to you. We haven't had income in two years. Two years. I've been used to working with my work. No income. I work. No income. It's just work. but we've been on a pause. But you know what? This pause has been different for me than the other ones. I've been able to rest in it because of the eager expectation of what's coming. Because I said, Lord, I've learned. I got it. I'm okay. I'm okay waiting because it's worth the wait. What you're going to do is worth the wait. What God's going to do with you is worth the wait. You may have to go on a little pause. Relish the pause. Do you know what I really relish now that I hated then? It was being a hermit in that home on Selma Avenue, 2301 Selma, north side of Youngstown. Dark, drab, cold, alone. No friends, no communications, no nothing. Just me, the Holy Spirit, and God. Communion every day, visions, dreams, the word of God. Baptized me in the, in the tub. Just me and God. One year, I was so ready to get out of there. One year, I was banging against the walls. And you know, now I look upon it, and I say, that was one of the best years of my life. Because of what God did in me. And if he had not done that, oh my God, I probably wouldn't. I know, there's no probably, I would not have made it. If he didn't pour into me what he poured into me, because I tested him after that. Not just once, but twice. Of course, all of you guys, you've just walked straight ever since you've known God. A pause is a good thing. I'm thinking right now and I'm going to close with this because I've gone up to where I didn't think I was going to go and I don't really care. I got a lot of pages left if we want to go back to this. If he says to. I was thinking of this. Jacob was not a good guy. His name means deceiver. Who gives their kid a name deceiver? That's like putting a a prophetic curse on your child. You have a baby and you say, Murderer, liar, hypocrite, Jacob, the deceiver. And he tried to do things with one foot in the patriarchal law and promises and the other foot in his own flesh and the world. And he thought the time had come, it was about time to die. And he's sitting in the wilderness by himself. Figuring, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die here. If I'm not, I'm not. He got tired. He took a pause because he was tired, not because he was wise. And in that pause, he laid his head on a rock, a hard rock, the rock, the rock, my deliverer a foundation, a cornerstone. Little did he understand how prophetic his life was going to turn in that one night. And he had a visitation on the rock. And soon thereafter, he no longer was the deceiver, but he came to seed of promise, Israel, a new name, the birthing of a new people. New promises, covenants that flourish and come alive and and the house of David to spring out of it and, and, and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come forth from the house of David and a whole city that would be built and a temple that would be built and dedicated to the Lord God Almighty here on earth and who would believe that the Lord God himself would come inside of an ark of his presence. And that wasn't enough. From there comes the Messiah. And his presence comes into each and every one of us from a man called a deceiver who put his head on a rock in the middle of the wilderness. How about you and I put our heads on the rock tonight? Let's do it with an expectation. Let's believe God that there's going to be a transformation. If there's one working in you and the good work he's begun, then let him keep doing it. Lord, accelerate it. When he walked away from the name of deceiver, he left it behind him. Read the story. And then he learned how to serve and then serve some more. He left it all behind. Today's our day. Because this is a new second. This is a new creation. This is a new opportunity. This is a time to transform. When we really open our eyes and our ears spiritually, we don't just know that the word of God says there's a move from a glory to a glory. We're in the glory and we're moving from a glory to a glory. The glory of today is nothing like the glory of tomorrow. Special something gonna happen for you, sister. I see it all over your face, all over you, all over you. We don't just hear about a strength to a strength. We become the strength into another strength. You see, it's one thing to receive, it's another thing to be. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory then you no longer have to ask him to show you his glory. You have to say, let me see the glory. People are running out all over the place to see the glory falling from the skies and gold dust and other things when the glory is here. We could be in an audience of 10,000 people praising for the glory to fall and never see it. Or we could be with our head on the rock in the quiet of our room tonight and be glorified. Oh my Lord I feel the presence of the